Good morning from my side too. Let me look into the camera very quickly and welcome everyone that is joining us online today. As Sue mentioned, we are starting off with a brand new series, just a four-part series that we've entitled The Gospel. The gospel may generate different uh, feelings and thoughts and, de and definitions in different people's minds, and in some cases for good reason, in other cases not so much for good. Uh, if you've been around for a while, you know what it is to sometimes be discouraged and embarrassed that someone calls themselves a Christian or refers to the gospel because of a political ideology or because of a certain bend in their theology, and so there are times where you're like, don't tell people you're a Christian, please, because you're making the rest of us look bad. And then every now and then you meet someone else and you think, you must be, a have you ever had that encounter where you, where you connect with someone and you're like, there's something different. I, I, I connected with a lady, a complete stranger, in, uh, when I was waiting for the vaccine, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, um, a few weeks back. And, and just the longer I was talking with her, I, I, I can't even remember the, how the conversation went, but, but she was talking about her husband and her kids and all the rest. I just, there was something about it that I thought, I think this lady is a Christian. And some, somehow in the conversation it came out that, she, that she's a Christian. And I just thought, what a great testimony that me as a stranger, and by the way, I don't advertise I'm a pastor because that's normally the quickest way to shut down a conversation or to make people walk away like you're a leper. Um, we've, we've, we've always struggled with our neighbors. Like it, doesn't, like, like it doesn't endear them to us. They're like, oh, pack the beer away and, and step back <laughs> quietly. And, you know, so, so, so I don't ever advertise that kind of thing. So, so she doesn't know that, and I just thought, wow, what a great testimony that there's actually something about the lady. Not about what she's against or what she's for, but, but there's something about her. And so that's why I say, depending on, I mean, you could be brand new to church, this could be the first time you're sitting in a church service, or you could have grown up in some type of church tradition. And whether we like it or not, we tend to look at the world, we, we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. We, we look through a certain filter. And so if you are fairly familiar with different traditions and leanings and emphases in the broader, in the broader Christian world, and, and again, I even use that term cautiously because I, don't, I think it gets used too easily. Um, a cr Christian can often be cultural as opposed to I'm actually following Jesus. But you may find that there are these different emphases where, where, where basically there's what we would call a social gospel, where, where it's all about social justice and doing good, which is not incorrect, but it can be incomplete. The most hateful conference I ever went to was a justice conference, where there was so much venom, so much hatred towards people that weren't apparently believing and doing exactly what some of the people of the conference thought we should be doing as Christians. Now, now th there was a lot of truth in what they were emphasizing, but according to 1 Corinthians 13, the first few verses, they, they knew correctly, but there was no love. And, and, and the heart shouted a lot louder than, than the words. And so, and so if it's a one-dimensional gospel, we're gonna be in trouble. You may have grown up in a tradition that would be very reformed or very fundamentalist, and it's all about holiness, and, and you're not allowed to watch TV, or you're not allowed to wear, I mean, I don't know, you'd have to be pretty old if you grew up in a church where you weren't allowed to wear jeans, but, but, but that's kind of my parents' generation, where you weren't, I mean, in fact, if a woman wore jeans, I think, or pants, you were like, like, like it, was, it was a problem, you know? Listen, I, I still remember going to church where women used to wear dookies on their head. Anyone remember the dookies? Anyone grateful that you don't have to wear a dookie anymore? How many of you know that right now we'd get confused as to which religion you're from if you were a dookie and you're walking around? Anyway, um, so, so and, and again, there, there are elements of 
the reformed and the fundamental, that, that's, that's not wrong. It's not incorrect. It's just incomplete. Again, I, I know I'm flying through this, so bear with me, but, but then there'd be others that, that would, would lean into an evangelical, what we'd call the, the evangelical tradition, where, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm horribly oversimplifying this, so please bear with me, but where it's very much about just evangelism, evangelism, like salvation, souls, get, get people, catch people, fetch, you know, find people, like, like it's about the nets and about salvation, and, and it's about a decision, and again, it's not incorrect, it's incomplete, because there is a decision that I believe people should be brought towards and invited towards. But if that's the primary purpose and focus, then we're actually missing the full gospel. And even, and even those of you that, that are familiar with, with the um, large crusades of, I guess, the, the 70s, 80s, 90s with, with people like Billy Graham and others, um, you, you, would, you would know of these great harvests that would come in. And, I, and even the evangelists, people like, um, like Reinhard Bonnke, who, who made an incredible impact here in Africa. Literally, there would be crusades where there'd be roughly a million people in attendance. Like, if you've seen the photos, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to comprehend. And people that would be responding. But, but even these evangelists came to a point where they, where they realized that if that's all it is, we're missing the boat. And that, so they would start working long in advance with local churches, local pastors, and local leaders to, to help um, actually look after people after they've made a decision. And so it's not incorrect, it's incomplete. And, and the, the danger with that, if it's an overemphasis, is that you may think, well, I made a decision. Like I can remember a day where I put my hand up or you prayed a prayer in the bathroom or maybe with a parent. Um, like, like you, you may remember that moment, which is great, but if that's where it stopped, I would argue, I mean, if I'm being very blunt, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm on dangerous, very thin ice here, but I would argue against the possibility that you're saved. The, the reason I say that is because the only time that I can see that happening in the Bible is the man on the cross next to Jesus. Where, where I mean, he didn't, he didn't pray a sinner's prayer, but, but, he, but there was something about him that, that, that seemed to acknowledge who Jesus was, and Jesus obviously knew his heart, and he said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, so this, this guy died that day. He didn't have a chance to allow himself to follow Jesus, to be formed, to, to actually grow, to be a disciple. If you read through the New Testament, at no point does it just talk about making a decision unless it's a decision to follow Jesus. Some of you may have even been around long enough to know that song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And then I forget the rest because I'm terrible with words. It is, it is a decision to follow. And so I think that sometimes we weaken the gospel. Sometimes, sometimes we, we make it anemic. If you've been around here, even just for a little while, you've probably heard a level of passion come from me when it comes to what is called the prosperity gospel, where I would argue that it's almost on par with superstition and in some cases flat out wickedness, where if you pay enough, you'll get. Or if, or if you just pray the right prayers, or if you can get close enough to the man of God, or if you can get the hanky from the man of God, or whatever, you, like, like then your life will be blessed. And I, and I think that, that the prosperity gospel misdefines it, it defines incorrectly what blessed is. 
and what prosperity is. So, so do I think God wants you to prosper? 100%. But according to his definition. Not according to the world's definition. When, when your definition of prosperity has absolutely no difference from the world's definition of prosperity, there's a problem with our definition of prosperity. So I'm not anti-prosperity, I'm anti the definition of the prosperity gospel, where you're guaranteed health and wealth, where you're guaranteed to be comfortable and convenient, and if you just pray the right prayer and, and normally give enough, then, then like your life, you, you'll kind of have this bubble and you'll be bulletproof. Well, read the New Testament. Most of the people that followed Jesus wholeheartedly paid an incredibly high price as far as worldly terms would be considered. So, I've probably thoroughly discouraged everyone on some level or another, and, and I don't want you to miss that what I'm saying is that in, in many of these cases, there are elements of truth that should be appreciated, but should be kept in context, and so I would like to just give a very, very brief overview today. So, so, so this is like an introduction, it's an overview, we're going to get a little bit more practical over the next three weeks as to what I believe the gospel is. What is salvation? The word salvation comes from the original Greek word sozo. Sozo means to be saved, but it's used interchangeably for words like healing, freed, being freed, or f finding freedom, being made whole. So, so that's why in some cases, and you'll even see in an English translation towards the end of the message, I'll give you an example of where, of where like in the English translation, it refers to being saved, but also you're being saved. Like, like there's an ongoing journey of where you are being made whole, increasingly whole. You are, you are being set, well, you, frankly, when you, when you genuinely surrender your life to Jesus, you are literally set free. But now, you've got, spiritually speaking, but now you have to walk in that freedom. And so as you keep walking in that freedom, you keep being sozoed, you keep being saved. You keep becoming increasingly whole. You, you become more secure. Your identity is more established in God, not in the things around us. You, you, you are less sensitive to the wrong things. You develop a thicker skin, but a softer heart. You are open-handed. You are generous because you are wanting to become like Jesus. It is about a relationship. The gospel is about a relationship. The gospel is about healing and wholeness. The gospel is about discovering God's purpose for our lives. And the gospel is about ultimately trying to build His kingdom and making a difference, eternally speaking, for His kingdom, which, by the way, is completely counterintuitive to our kingdom and to what we think is successful. We, we say it like this, and if you've taken a look in the cafe, we, we use this kind of language. We want to help people know God. That's the relationship. Find freedom. That's increasingly growing whole and healthy. Discover purpose. But I want to emphasize it's God's purpose, not just what do you want to do with your life. And make a difference. Where we are living with an eternal perspective and where we're wanting to make a difference where we are the most. Can I say the last part again? We want to make a difference where we are the most. Now, many of us would think, yeah, yeah, I'll make a difference at church. And we want you to, by the way. Like, we are, I am grateful for every single person that serves in and through the church. But I desperately want you to think about where you are most of the time. I want you to think about where you're working. Or who, uh, maybe you're working from home, so it's like easy. Okay, who you interact with digitally from on home. Again, not, not 
not preaching at someone and definitely not condemning someone, but at least living in a way that, you know, it's like that whole idea of you can take a horse to the water, but you can't make a drink, but you can't put salt on the tongue. Like you can't try and do what you can to make the horse thirsty, to want to drink. Another uh, definition or term of the gospel is simply good news. But that sounds so weak and anemic. Like it's, it's the good news. If you're Donald Trump, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be the best ever. Like, it's like, like, like we've just destroyed the meaning of some of those words. But, but the good news actually means that it's life-giving. It's life-changing. You haven't, in my opinion, encountered the gospel if it hasn't started to change your life. It's not just what you believe. Satan and the demons believe. They, they, they don't argue over who God is. I mean, they might with us, but, but not with each other. Like, they know who God is. They know who Jesus is. They, they, they know what he did, what he achieved at the cross. Like, it's not a knowledge issue. It's a gospel issue. Am I actually being affected? I've got to really speed up. Okay, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 to 4 in the New Living Translation is a prophetic look at who Jesus was going to be, he, he then actually read this himself, like he actually quoted this when he came to earth, but this was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus' time to describe who he was gonna be, what his mandate was gonna be. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. I think that word poor, as we looked at in the Sermon on the Mount, refers to humility, like a poor spirit and openness. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, Sometimes Christians like hurt the brokenhearted, like make life even harder. Anyway, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Or the message translation, paraphrase, Eugene Peterson put it this way. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, announce freedom to all captives and pardon all prisoners. Like there's something life-giving about this, right? He has sent me, verse two, to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Verse three, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Now, I think part of that is speaking eschatologically, so, so, so the other side of eternity, but part of that, I believe, is also relevant to today. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks, not oaks like in South Africa, like hey oaks, like the trees, okay? Great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. And then I love this. Look at this last part. We talk about purpose and meaning and being redeemed and making a difference. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. Who's they? Well, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, the mourning. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them though they have been deserted for many generations guys you you cannot be following jesus and not be in, in the process of being redeemed to where you actually start making a difference in the lives around us where where even though there may have been generational trends and patterns and and consequences for years and years and years you can rebuild you can revive when I was reflecting on this some time ago, I just, I just thought of these phrases, which we now have in the little opening video, but it helps me to almost summarize this declaration, this, this manifesto of Jesus, which describes his kingdom, which I think describes 
the gospel. It is hope for the humble, healing for the hurting, freedom for captives, pardon for prisoners, beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. They will rebuild, repair, and revive the ancient ruins. I don't know about you, but that is not a boring gospel. And that is not a one-dimensional gospel. That's not just eternal fire insurance. That's not just how to make my life a little bit more comfortable and convenient for today. That is, that is a gospel that, is, that in response to the grace of God, in response to a relationship with God, we want to live with purpose. We want to keep persevering and surrendering as God keeps trying to help us heal and become increasingly whole. Does this make sense? This is the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And, and I want to look at three ideas here. That is grace, godly fruit, and good works. I think that the gospel will have these effects on our lives. We, we encounter grace, it will produce godly fruit, and it will result in good works. So let's take a look at these very quickly. Grace. I want to be abundantly clear that it starts off, in fact, no, let me rewind. It doesn't just start off because it's actually sustained as well by grace. It is God, by His grace and love, who first invites us, who first reaches out to us before we even care. It is, it is God who made a way for us to be forgiven before we even ask to be forgiven. There is nothing that we can add to it. It is a free gift. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. You can't even take credit in like, well, I must have been really humble. That's not humility, just so you know, okay? Like, like, like we can't even be proud of our humility. Like, no, no, it, guys, it, it really was by the grace of God. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So just quickly, to encourage you, if you're here today or you're watching online, you can't first try and get over a bad habit. You can't first try and become a nicer person or a better person so that you think, okay, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit more attractive to God. God cannot love you more. God cannot love you less. I do think we can please God more and we can please God less, but He cannot love you more. He cannot love you less. His invitation is that you would actually recognize that through that challenge, through that weakness, because of that recurring thing that you, that you wish you could first deal with. No, no, he's like, that's the invitation letter. Come to me as you are, but trust me because I don't want you to stay as you are. I love you too much to leave you the way you are. That's, that's what grace is. Grace is I love you. Come as you are. Grace is I love you. I want to help you become whole, healed, freed, living on purpose. I would argue that we cannot experience grace and stay the same. I do not believe that we can experience the grace of God and not be moved. You see, if you're humble, when, if you know, and the Bible even uses metaphors like, like telling the story of, a, of someone that, that owed an insurmountable debt and the king chose to, to, to bring all of, his, all of his accounts to balance and the guy couldn't pay. He said, well, then go to prison. Like debt is prison until you can pay off, which was impossible. Like, like the whole point of the metaphor is that it's impossible. 
but he, he asked for mercy, and the king forgave him. The irony of the story is that he, didn't, he wasn't moved by that grace, because then he went and he strangled someone else who owed him a pittance in comparison. And he demanded that he pay him, and when he begged for mercy, he said, no, throw me into prison. So, so, so don't think that just because you are exposed to grace that you're receiving it. I would argue that the only way to know that you are actually recognizing your need for grace is when you realize that you can't do it by yourself, and when we, when we open ourselves up to grace, it will change us. It just does. It just does. You, you can't stay the same. Anyway, godly fruit, right? So, so this is why... Godly fruit will be formed because we will actually want to love God back. We will want to respond to grace. We will want to be formed into, increasingly into the image of Christ. That, that fruit will be things like healing and becoming increasingly whole. Not perfect, but becoming increasingly whole, more secure, more discerning, that kind of fruit will include making a difference. It is a journey. I want to be so clear. It is a journey. It is a process. It is a cycle. You responding to grace on year one is going to look different to you responding to grace at year 20, yeah. which is why you can't compare yourself to someone else, for better and for worse. So don't think, well, I'm better than, no, no, and don't think that you're worse. No. Where, where are you or where were you? Where is God inviting you next. We will want to bear fruit. John 15 verse 8, this is Jesus speaking, says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This is not just about bad people becoming good but as dead people that have become alive, you might have heard this statement before, but it doesn't just end there because people that have been made alive will want to become better. Yeah. I know that, that could be a sensitive word, but, but actually you can become better. You can become, as it says in Galatians 5 verse 22, you can actually become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind. The fruit is goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, Jesus is speaking in Matthew 7, verse 17. He says that a good tree produces, I mean, this isn't rocket science, good fruit. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. Look at verse 18. It's like he, he wants to make this abundantly clear. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Think about that for a moment. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a bit sobering for me and humbling because there's sometimes where, where the fruit ain't that good. I, I can't look at that and say, oops, that was a slip. Well, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. So I've got to go back and look at the roots and am I actually planted? Not, not am I looking good enough for you. No, no. Am I planted in the soil that's going to produce good fruit? A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Yes, uh, verse 20 just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Some of us don't want that scripture in the Bible, right? No, 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 but the grace of God covers it all. Yeah, yeah, he does, but, but that's not his will. Yeah, yeah, but he, he does forgive you. But 
if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be following, then you're going to want to grow in those areas. So the gospel is the good news, and it covers grace. It leads to godly fruit. And then third, it leads to good works. Like, it does lead to good works. Followers want to obey. That passage I read earlier from Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, goes on in verse 10. So 8 and 9, it's all about grace. It's free. Nothing that you can't take any credit. There's no reward. However, verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There isn't a single person sitting here, there isn't a single person tuning in online or listening to this podcast for whom God has not planned good works for you to walk in. Today, he's got good works for you to walk in. Tomorrow, he's got good works for you to walk in. This week, he's got good works for you to walk in. This month, this year, this next season. Regardless of COVID, regardless of financial pressures, regardless of, of whatever challenges. And sometimes those things that we look at as interruptions are actually God's invitations to do the good works that he actually planned for us long ago. Another way that we describe this in our church, we will, you'll often hear us using language like we want to be with Jesus, we want to become like Jesus, and we want to do what Jesus would do. We want to be with Jesus, so, so we want to actually order our lives to be with Jesus. That's relational, Rebecca. We want to become like Jesus. So, so we, we're not in full control of just, just wishing it hard enough, long enough. No, no, we, we order our lives. So, so as we position ourselves to be with Jesus, we can't help it. Slowly but surely, we're going to become more and more like him. Not, not because we're striving, not because we're stressing, no, no, because like fruit is formed. And then we're gonna find ourselves increasingly facing situations where we will do what Jesus would do if he were me. We want to live on purpose. We want to be salt and light. We, we will want our good deeds, according to Matthew 5, where Jesus' words are recorded, we will want our good deeds to be salt and light, to shine out, so that people will actually be drawn to God. Or another way of putting that. So, so we've spoken about how grace leads to godly fruit, which leads to good works. Another way of putting that, if you look at the account of the early Christians in the book of Acts, is that good works will eventually lead to good will, which will eventually open up the opportunity for good news. Think about that. Look, I, I love being able to like see and, and like, imagery and, and almost like a cycle where okay we're being impacted by grace it is it is forming godly fruit we are we are doing what jesus would do we're doing good works we're, we're we are kind we are patient we are diligent at work we're the most diligent we are we are quick to forgive we are we don't cover up false peace we actually deal with issues we lead well we serve well we do good works grace godly fruit and <laughs> good works good works will lead to goodwill, so favor with people, and, and favor with people should lead to us at some stage or another being able to explain why. It should lead to an opportunity where we can actually share the good news. In fact, I think we've got a graph. Have we had that up already? Let's put that up, right? Sorry, that was meant to come later on, but I'm running out of time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap things up in a moment. Take a look at this. Grace, godly fruit, good works, goodwill, good news. 
which then leads to another, a new cycle. So, so now new people are experiencing grace, godly fruit, good works. They are developing favor with people, good will, which gives an opportunity to share the good news. And now a new harvest of people are experiencing grace, forming godly fruit, doing good. Good leads to good will and sharing of the good news. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases Matthew 5 verse 16 in the message version, where he says that now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, this is, he's trying to paraphrase Jesus' words, shine, keep open house, be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You will prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. Good works will lead to goodwill, and we will want to share the good news. We will want to invest and invite. We, we're not in control of the outcomes. People don't become a project for you to tick a box. No, no. No, we just, again, you're being formed. We, you start to love. You start to have compassion. You judge a lot less, hopefully, and you have a lot more compassion, and you pray more for people, and you look for opportunities to be a blessing to be salt and light and as we do that I believe that we will recognize opportunities we don't force opportunities we don't become weirdo street preachers no no we we will look out for opportunities to share the good news the worship team can come on up the final passage of scripture that I want to leave you with and that we're going to kind of be applying over the next few weeks is Romans 1 verse 16 just the first part where it says that I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ or some English translations use, use, use the word gospel. I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The gospel involves so much. The, in, fact, in fact, the best way that I could put it is that it is changed lives, changing lives it is changed lives changing lives now if we're allowing our lives to be changed well i don't see why or how we're hoping to pass on and and and, and impart what we don't possess which is why the gospel is something that we first respond to where we are recognizing over and over and over again the invitation to be loved by god and the invitation to love him back. I wanna encourage you that loving God back and, and receiving the love of God is not actually some heavy, uncomfortable, dutiful burden. It is, it is actually something that is life-giving. It's an invitation. It's God will never force us to recognize or respond to his grace. And this messes with our heads because I think we're used to a little bit more of a stronger hand, like a domineering force in our lives. No, no, he invites us. Today, right now, in this moment, I suggest that God is extending an invitation to you. It may not be an invitation towards that initial decision. Maybe you made that initial decision a month ago, a year ago, a lifetime ago. But there is an invitation. We cannot be walking in response to the gospel and there not be an ongoing invitation to what's next. 
In fact, again, there's a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8 that is paraphrased by Eugene Peterson where, where he describes about waking up with this adventurous what's next, Papa. Like, like those are the words that he puts into his paraphrase. There's, there's this anticipation. There's, there's this excitement of, okay, God, what's next? Like, like what's the next invitation? What's the next good work that you've planned for me to walk in? Can I ask you, please, to recognize where God is inviting you to maybe lift just a little bit above survival, just, just a little bit above being sufficiently stimulated by series and social media, where before we know it, we're actually becoming medicated and numb, and we're, and we're settling for a fake sense of stimulation where actually God's got a whole life for us to live and experience the gospel changes everything if i'm not responding to an invitation that brings some change or the beginning of some change then i would encourage you that you may have some reflecting to do okay god maybe i'm not walking with you maybe i have some belief or maybe i made some decision at some point but but i i'm not following you so can i ask you to stand just for a few moments and by the way, those of you that are getting baptized today, you're welcome to make your way to the extreme left already. Someone will direct you as to where you can get changed. Those of you that are not getting baptized, those of you that are here, can I ask you to close your eyes for a, for a few moments. And if you're willing to do this, I don't want to force you. This isn't like an extra super spiritual thing. Just if you're willing to do this as a posture of surrender and humility, can I encourage you to open your hands. You can open them in front of you. You can lift them high above you. Whatever you want, can I encourage you to take on a posture of humility, saying, God, help me to see your invitation. Help me to see your invitation. Give me eyes to see. Give me a mind to understand. Give me a heart that is willing to respond. God, where I've just been dismissing certain things as interruptions, would you help me to see where actually that is the parchment on which you have written an invitation to be present in a moment of suffering or to be present in a moment of challenging circumstances or to be present through, through, through a season of excitement or challenge or whatever. God, help me to recognize your invitations and help me to follow you to live out your full gospel where it is about doing good. It is about receiving grace. It is about having fruit formed. It is about enjoying a relationship with you where we slow down regularly to look at God looking at us with love. Father, I pray that you would seal anything that is from you today, God. Any seed that you're depositing in people's hearts. Lord, any, any, any thought, any revelation that, that you've stirred up, God, I pray that you, that you would bring that to completion. Protect us from distractions. Help us not just to move on, but to be diligent, allowing that seed to take root, that we can walk with you. And Father, for people that, are, that have been sitting here today or, or watching online and realize that they're needing to make a decision, maybe for the first time, maybe it is a maybe it's a refreshed decision to follow you. God, I pray that you would invade their lives with a sense of your peace, your love, and your leadership. 
God, would you already, already today, this moment, begin that healing work? Thank you that spiritually we are set free the moment we actually respond to you and accept that gift. But God, I pray that, that we will persevere with the healing work that you wanna do in our lives, God. Where we need you to heal our minds, heal our identities, heal some of the regrets and the shame that we carry. Bring healing and wholeness as we wanna be set free from certain habits and addictions and patterns. But God, I pray to start off with that they would experience your love and your peace and your joy and your leadership. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.